0: welcome to bel-air radio i'm your host destiny collins and Shatoya rose and we are your favorite female voices of radio this week we will talk about interdisciplinary research day now for those of you who do not know Interdisciplinary Research Day is a day where students come together and talk about their research and put up a presentation and show all the statistics and all the research they know from that one specific topic. I had the opportunity to present at um, Interdisciplinary Research Day and so did Chitori. How did you enjoy
1: it? It was really nice like we had the um, live statues that I talked about on the radio show before Um, we had them we had put them in the hallways and they presented who they were and then people were able to go around and touch them so they come alive. Um, I did a multimedia video as well um, and that was that was good I did the video about the live statues as well it was
0: really nice. That's good who were the live statues of?
1: Um, there were uh, uh, several of them. Some of them were My Angelo, Dr. Dawkins, um, Nikki Giovanni, and there were many more.
0: My research was on sexual abuse inside the mind of a predator. With so much going on in the media and social media going on, talking about um, our celebrity predators. Destiny, I think your
1: presentation was really good. Like, you I really enjoyed it.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yep. Now we're going to hear highlights from our Interdisciplinary Research Day. The guest speaker for Interdisciplinary Research Day was none other than Vanita Embry. She is a research public health analyst from UNC Chapel Hill, and she came to talk to us about how to find yourself in research. Let's take a listen. Hello everyone.
2: Once again, I'm Constance Daly, a senior chemistry major here at Bennett College. Um, and I won't be before you long. I'm just here to introduce our wonderful keynote speaker. She is a wonderful researcher here. Um, I'll just highlight, I won't insult your intelligence by reading her full bio, but if you scan the um the QR code on the outside of the door, you will have her bio in there in within the program. Um, but our lovely, phenomenal researcher here today, Miss Venita Embry, um, she has obtained her bachelor of arts degree in psychology from Northwestern University and a master's in public health degree in behavioral sciences and health education from Emory University. And currently, she is currently in her doctoral program um, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So we are very excited to hear her today um, in her presentation with us. And I'll just let you get started.
3: Thank you for having me. Uh, This is actually my first time on campus. I'm very excited to hear about the research and uh, meet some faces of professors and different areas. So this is a great, the last few sessions I was able to um, catch. So um, I just um, was invited to talk about some research, and I consider myself kind of in transition. So for the past 10 years, I've worked in different types of behavioral health, public health research, um, a little bit of criminal justice research. And for the past three years, as Constance mentioned, I have been a doctoral student. Um, And so kind of transitioning to more independent research. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my path and that um, if this is helpful for you or if you're undergrad or for your students to, you know, think about their path, I'm always happy to talk to other people about um, kind of choosing your path. Um, So the main thing I'm talking about will be kind of my research interests my background that got me to this point, and then some tips for those who are interested in pursuing a career research. So my first thing is I, I had a mentor. I have a mentor now, and um, I we're talking about things that I'm currently doing. And I asked, is there something else I should be doing to really establish myself? And she said, no, you're already a re- researcher. Just keep doing the good work. And I feel really great about it, but I also really think about what is it to be not just a researcher, but a good researcher. So some of the qualities I think about when it comes to being a researcher is, you know, being inquisitive, always thinking about the next question. So for every question you're answering, you should be asking two or three more questions. Um, Being ethical, so the data you're collecting, the people you're involving into your research, making sure you're respecting them, that you're respecting their input, their backgrounds, and also you're thinking about how can you make, the world better for everyone, as many people as possible, not just for yourself or your, you know, salary and your family. Um, Methodical. So this is not necessarily tied to any particular type of method, not statistics or if you're a quantitative person, but just really doing the work of working through the process of your research. Um, And then kind of the other piece is just your personality, being confident. There's a lot of rejection that comes in research, so being ready to be able to put yourself out there in the peer review process, hearing those, hearing you need to start back, but knowing that what you're doing is very important and being humble that you're not going to solve all of the world's problems, that um, you can contribute something very important, but it's a small piece and a very big puzzle. And my last piece is that um, I like to be able to incorporate my personal experience and my background into the work I'm doing, but also mix it with the empirical research that's out there. I went to undergrad um, at Northwestern from Birmingham, Alabama, um, and I started pre-med thinking I wanted to be an obstetrician, um, and I realized in that I started taking my first uh, few organic chemistry classes that maybe this wasn't for me. um, But I did find that I love things, we had a really strong African American studies program And I took a lot of literature classes. I loved to read as a kid, and so this was a really great fit. And then I also started taking some psychology classes, and I realized that what I really liked about medicine was that trying to fix some human problems. So I didn't know about public health at the time. So after I graduated from undergrad, I went to Emory. At this point, I learned about public health and um, focused in behavioral science and health education. And then a couple years after that, um, I started at uh, UNC in their health behavior program. And so all of this is just a framework for the research. It kind of gave me the structure, but it, and it also provided me the milestones, which is this slide. Um, so the basis of my research experience have been the first research project I was on was basically lucked. I just reached out to, um, I didn't know what I was going to do with the psychology degree, and it was during the recession. So I was like, well, I just need a job and I wasn't sure what the next step was going to be. But I ended up getting a position as a research assistant in a, a grant that was focused on substance use among formerly incarcerated individuals. And I thought, okay, substance use, that's what I really am interested in. And so when I applied to graduate school, I wanted to focus on substance use um, prevention. Um, and, but I got a research assistantship while I was in grad school working with um, a study, a qualitative study that women with incarcerated partners. And so I got, I got that position because I had formerly worked with people who were formerly incarcerated. And then I realized, I, I, this is one of my favorite studies I've ever worked on, because it was a qualitative study of talking with women in Atlanta whose partner was incarcerated, understanding the emotional, financial, and like stressful tolls associated with having an incarcerated partner. So I think through this experience, I learned a little bit more, like I like this justice-involved background. And then between my first and second year in college um, graduate school, I had an internship with the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene in their substance use and population health. And there I learned I'm not as interested in substance use as I thought it was. Um, and I also am not interested in working for the government. So those, it was a really helpful internship to learn what I don't like. Um, and I also it was a great experience, but it really helped me refine what I was interested in. Um, A couple months after my internship, I was at a conference, uh, the American Public Health Association conference is huge, and one of the things they do have is like an expo, and they have tons of jobs and um, organizations, and one of the organizations I went to was um, RTI International, and I talked to the recruiter there, and he mentioned that there was a division that had a lot of things that was interesting to me, particularly incarceration, um, effects of incarceration on families, substance use. Um, And I kept the eye on positions there, and sure enough, like a month before I was graduating, they had a position in their Crime, Violence, and Justice program. It's been renamed about three or four times since then. Um, And I got the position. I started the September after I graduated. Um, And since I've been at RTI, I've been there for six years now, it's just been a great experience. It's a not-for-profit organization. It's not academic or government, even though we we mostly work for government um, contracts and is really modeled after the academic research um, structure. Um, I've worked on such a variety of projects. Nothing, no two projects have been the same. I've worked on some that have a mix of homelessness, mental health, substance use. Um, I've even recently worked on a project about medical examiners and coroner's operations. I have no experience about that, but it was just, I had a skill set. I was able to help out, and now I know about like the US systems of medical examiners. Um, and prison reentry, So um, that is an interest of mine, and this a division that's focused on criminal justice, so um, working and looking at outcomes related to um, services provided to people as they're releasing from prison. But then when, uh, after a few years at RTI, I realized that I really was interested in violence prevention and violence research. I hadn't worked on it before, and for some reason, this is where I wanted to focus, and so when I applied to grad school, I made sure to focus on increasing my knowledge in violence prevention and violence research overall. Um, and I've been pretty successful the past three years. Um, I work on a sexual violence prevention study as a research assistant. Um, we actually do a lot of work in uh, Greensboro with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, and I've really learned about what does it mean to develop an intervention related to sexual violence. I also work on a, um, a domestic violence protective order study. So, and I'm also a fellow with the Injury Prevention Center at UNC. So I say all that just because this educational situation, they keep providing me the opportunities, but it's really been the research opportunities that have really shaped my career and my um, progress as a researcher. So postgraduate, once I finish my dissertation, um, likely is going to stay at RTI. I really love it there and love the diversity in the projects that they have there. Public health recently uh, with the CDC have really started to take on those issues as a public health issues and think about, what kind of factors early in life are impacting violence outcomes and um, incarceration. and What's the impact of violence and incarceration on other people's lives and their own lives later on? So this is one framework. How many people are familiar with social determinants of health? Okay, This is a very popular framework in public health and this is basically that your health is not just your health. So if you are you say um, like 30, let's say 100 pounds overweight, it's not just because you have no willpower or you know some of these ways we think about individual behaviors, but there's a lot of things in your environment that is shaping how you are, including your neighborhoods. How close are you to fresh um, vegetables and uh, fruit? How easy is it to walk around your community? How safe is it to walk around your community? Also, um, money to purchase like these vegetables um, in your family, what are the norms about the types of food you eat, and about exercising, and restricting yourself to, like cutting out sugar and things like that? And then, of course, healthcare and healthcare access. Um, so this is just one of the frameworks, and I just wanted to highlight this because this is a very big interdisciplinary. It incorporates a lot of different research, sociology, um, even when you get into the more criminal um, criminal justice, a lot of forensic psychology and criminology perspectives. Um, nutrition, it just allows for a lot of um, thinking about how can you solve problems beyond just looking at that one health condition. And this is an example, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but this is a way of people have used, um, applied like a social determinants of health framework to criminal justice, which is the sum of this is basically your community conditions can impact your health, your, uh, can, your health behaviors. Your behaviors can also affect your community. So if you commit a crime, it changes the way the neighborhood thinks about itself, the safety, the way it um, thinks about its safety. And that can change, you know, who's being incarcerated, the policies around um, the criminal justice policies, and then that can change your physical health outcome. There was a study that came out uh, a few years ago that said that people who've been incarcerated have poor health before, during, and after um, poor health than those who have never been incarcerated. And what stuck out to me is before, the part before. So that means that people who were incarcerated, before they actually were incarcerated, so if they were incarcerated, two people were um, at least like 25 years old, the person who's been incarcerated by 25 probably had poor health at 17 than the person also at 17 who were never incarcerated. So that tells me that there's a relationship between health and incarceration that we really need to look at. What is co- what's going on in somebody's life that's leading them to incarceration? And then it's pretty much widespread that once you leave, once you're in the system, your mental and physical health outcomes are worsened, which kind of gets me to my dissertation research question. So I'm interested in looking at how these early childhood experiences, such as child sexual assault, maltreatment, parental incarceration impacts your violent outcomes in adulthood. Um, So looking at perpetration and victimization. But then, from my own personal experience, um, I grew up in a single parent home, we moved around a lot, and as I talked to people, they're also like, well, how did you make it to where you are? And I think I just always had a very strong support system. Um, I I was from a loving family, and I had teachers who always were there for me, they encouraged me to read. Um, I remember a seventh grade teacher who introduced me to Harry Potter, she lent me two copies of it. and when I went to Northwestern, even though it's predominantly white school with a very small black population, the black population, we stuck together. And I think, about, I think about it completely fondly. I don't have any really negative experiences because of that community. So I wonder how much can those social cohesion at this transition period from an adolescent to young adulthood, how impactful is that? And what, how can it buffer those violent outcomes later in life? One thing I want to note is the people who are identifying the problems are not always the people who are creating interventions. There is, you would think that they're talking to each other, but they're really not. Don't always believe that you have to stick to the peer-reviewed articles, the data that's out there. You can use your own personal sense to navigate, like, how do you craft a question? Because if the question is in the data, we wouldn't be here. Um, you have to use your own personal sense to help drive it, but don't let it overcome What's the theory? what's the data showing? Go for your passion. Don't go for something that's just marketable um, because those things change, but research is long. It takes forever to make changes, so you really need to feel strongly about whatever you're interested in. Um, but don't let it become all of your life. There's a point where I can no longer read um, violence in criminal justice read at night. I'm not going to do it because it's too much. Also again, just you're not superhuman. You don't have to solve all the world problems. Just make sure the work you're doing is good and quality and people can't question it. People will question it, but you don't want all the work that you're doing to get discredited because of some sloppy mistake. And then I guess my main thing is uh, rejection happens. It's okay. So you have two choices, at least my opinion. You can either learn from it and improve or wallow in it. There's a third option, which is to keep making the same mistakes over and over again, but I won't even acknowledge that. (laughs) And then my last is just having a great mentor, having multiple mentors, and appreciating people at all levels. So your peers are really great resources. Even though they don't have the degrees or so behind their names, they are really great people to talk to and be inspired by the work that they're doing. Also talk to people who are three or four years away from where you want to be, because they can be a lot of great resources for thinking about, you know, funding opportunities and how to talk to, you know, um, other professors or people who kind of have that more powerful um, um, spot. So they can be a really great avenue for you to get in. And then um, just keep in touch with people. So if you're an undergrad, it may, you may not be thinking about letters, recommendations, but those are really crucial to get in, so making sure you are established that before you leave. And then keep in contact. I think people love to hear that, um, the ways that they have been influential for you, and then they would love to, especially in my experience, love to pay it back and continue to see you grow. So as long as you cultivate those relationships, people are usually very happy to like, see you succeed as well.
0: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Destiny Collins. I am a Journalism and Media Studies major from Tarboro, North Carolina, and I will be coming forth to you about sexual abuse inside the predator's mind. Now, since the beginning of 2019, we heard a lot of coverage about R. Kelly and Michael Jackson, and I wanted to shed light on the issue. And I wanted to talk about, even though we do consider them as monsters and evil people, we really want to know, like, what is it? Like, why are they the way that they are? What happened to them that made them become predators? And how can we not necessarily um, feel sorry for them, but actually understand them? There are three types of predators in this world. Sexual assault predators, manipulative, opportunist, and, coer- and coercive. Um, coercive means very demanding, controlling they um they will abuse you, like physically. Manipulative is mainly child molesters, like they can really get into the person's mind, especially easily as a child. If you are a child, it's very easy for you to be manipulated, especially by an adult. They'll confuse all of that. Um, Coercive is rapist, and if you are an opportunist, that is both rapist and child molesters. When a person does do the child molestation or sexual assault, it's because they already been sexually abused while they were younger. And it really kind of stuck to their minds like, oh wow, um, I could really like do this, you know? I don't see why not. Some people can really say I don't want to be abused anymore while others go into the other route and choose to abuse others. And the reason why they do that because it feels familiar Rapists find common ground with sexual abuse. Um, What I mean by that is that they realize that I can't take that back. Um, Whatever happened to me is done. What I'm gonna do is reciprocate that energy on to the other kids and I wanna see how they like that now. Sometimes it doesn't always have to be just genuine hatred towards the kids. Sometimes it's just maybe that's how I felt. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I felt like that was love. When I was a child, I felt like that was love growing up. They do this for healing purposes. Once they do this for child molesters, I mean, child molesters do this for healing purposes. They relive their relationship with their abuser. Um, Sometimes they want to find common ground with the person that abused them, and they want to talk it out and somehow kind of understand why they abused them. Some sexual assault, some sexual predators, they usually um, talk to their abusers to understand like, why did you do this to me? It's a power move for them. They feel like if I can do this to you, I can do this to anybody. No one can stop me. And even though I'm not justifying it, but I do want to say that um, it gives you an insight on why they do what they do. And I just, It's shocking, but it's very interesting, and if you guys have any questions, I would love to hear. Thank you as well. One thing that I enjoyed about your um, presentation today was when you talked about behavior effects in the community and how public health ties with incarceration. Can you um, elaborate more on that?
3: Sure. So there's a growing body of research that acknowledges that people are not just Um, criminal offenders and they just don't commit crime by chance that many people who are offenders uh, um, tend to do so uh, they tend to come from certain communities um, communities that have been um, their concentrate um, have concentrate disadvantage so there's a lot of poverty um, residential segregation they come from homes that have um, low-income homes homes where they've been exposed to violence places where they've been, um, victimized early in life. Um, it's just really a lack of resources and a lot of opportunities that can lead people to offend later in life. And that, um, it's important as a public health because we know that public, um, being incarcerated, you have a higher risk of death, After your release, you have higher mental health, physical health issues, HIV um, transmission, um, depression. There's also the whole host of adverse health outcomes. So it's really important for us to look at the justice system, who's involved and what are the root causes that led them there.
0: Do you know the age group that this start at for younger kids?
3: Um, A lot of research um, that's targeting adverse childhood experiences can say that some of this happens even before you're born. Um, Some of the stress that your parents Um, experience can be transmitted through genes but really um, it really throughout the developmental process from childhood through adolescence that can have are some of those most critical points. Um, Some of the research I'm starting to do for my doctoral work is to look at um, social learning so where as a kid you're learning from the people that you're interacting with and if you have negative um, models around you that can really change your own perspectives also just your emotional regulation so just um the adolescence is part and the early childhood is just part of a lot of rapid growth so any type of negative influence can have monumental impacts
0: is this race based like is it more of black people versus white or white
3: versus black um, so if you look at a lot of people have looked at race but meaning that they've just looked at differences between white and black and generally in pub- in many public health outcomes um, black people tend to have and other people of color or particular Latinos tend to have worse outcomes than white people and sometimes Asian um, however it's not just race alone um, there's a growing body that is racism that is causing the issue so again looking at um, intergenerational racism and oppression can lead to lower economic opportunities which then turns to um, some of the other factors the root causes so it's not just you are black or you are white but it's the opportunities that certain races have been afforded that can lead to different outcomes
0: and you also mentioned violence in your um, research as well.
3: So my focus is really has been on intimate partner violence and sexual violence, um, but I'm also interested in understanding peer violence, how that develops, and possibly um, self harm, so suicide and other type of injury behaviors to the, oneself. Um, and so a, a question I have is, if you have these negative experiences early on, does it lead to certain al- violent outcomes or? Are people who have maybe exposed to violence early in life, are they equally likely to um, be a victim or perpetrate intimate partner violence versus child abuse versus peer violence? Um, just to really, I think there's not enough understanding about how people who've, been a, um, who've had these certain negative um, influence early in life, what type of violence are they at most risk for later in life?
0: And what about the mental health impact with the people who've experienced violence so early on?
3: it can definitely have a huge effect. Um, depression, anxiety, those are very high, as I mentioned, suicide is really high for those who have these adverse childhood experiences. Um, there's nothing that really comes good out of this. So uh, the other pieces which I'm interested in is looking at the protective factors, these pro-social things such as social cohesion, social support, that can kind of mitigate that relationship between these negative influences early on and later violence outcome.
0: And is this more based on children or just children and adults?
3: Um, The research I'm interested in is looking at people from multiple years. So it's kind of following um, people from childhood through, or at least early adolescence through their adulthood. But I think that... um, A lot of the research has looked at children or adults, and they're finding pretty much similar things that adults who commit crimes, adults who are victims of violence, often have these early childhood experiences. Um, And what's really needed is to understand why.
0: All right, and if anybody wanted to get in contact or help about these certain situations, how can we contact you?
3: Um, You can contact me. I am a a researcher at RTI International. My information is vembry.rti.org. Also, there's a ton of information, if you just want to uh, learn more from um, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. They have a lot of great toolkits and information about violence and the root causes and adverse childhood experiences.
0: How can we prevent violence?
3: So domestic violence or intimate partner violence is an issue in our society um, and pervasive. it's very widespread and exists in outside of the US also um, the main thing is just changing gender norms um, traditionally it's um, a private closed door issues so the more that we can talk about as a society we can talk about gender norms that support Um, violence and think about how we can reduce tolerance for violence, how we can make sure that victims of violence feel comfortable seeking out safety from their families, can contact the law enforcement without feeling like they're going to be ignored or any other harsh repercussions. Um, We have to really address those norms and make sure that victims of violence feel like they can come out before we can make a lot of progress to reduce violence.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope that you could come back and speak to Bennett as well.
3: Yes, it's been great.
0: Make sure you all tune in every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. to hear the latest scoop on what's going on Bennett College's campus. Tune in every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. on Channel 142, Sirius XM, HBCU. Hello everyone, welcome to Bel Air Radio. I'm your host Destiny Collins and Shatoya Rose and we are your favorite female voices of radio. This past week we had our scholarship
1: luncheon here at the GOC on Bennett College's campus. Chatori did you ever have a scholarship before? Yes, I did actually. Um, I've had a scholarship throughout my four years of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm originally from Washington, D.C. and the scholarship that I have is called D.C. Achievers and with that they give us about fifty thousand dollars and they split it up within four years of college um so that really helped me throughout college like it made a huge impact on my years here
0: that's good um
1: can you tell us how impactful it is for um students with scholarships um well students with scholarship it kind of helped them you know get to school financially um i think if you don't have a scholarship sometimes it could be hard paying for school and some students drop out so you know it really helps a lot
0: it does um I also had a scholarship my sophomore year and that helped me tremendously like I could not think been in college for that enough and my mother could think Ben in college for that too but it was awesome that they gave me that scholarship my sophomore year and um hopefully you know I could fin- fill out more scholarships mm-hmm. even though I'm about to become a senior, right. um, I could still fill out more scholarships so it could help me and my family
1: out, but mm-hmm. it's very impact. I think it's really important for students to apply to, you know, as much money as you can get, grants, scholarships, um, it's very important to have those things, you know, you don't want to be in debt with loans and those mm-hmm. things can really help you out. Absolutely.
0: Here are some highlights from the scholarship luncheon and the keynote speaker. each year. The Office of Institutional Advancement
4: recognizes the support of our scholarship donors and the achievements of the student recipients. The college is winding down from a phenomenal, and I mean phenomenal, fundraising campaign that you played a vital role in ensuring that our students would graduate. And for that, we thank you and applaud you. Thank you so much. Many of us come from families where everybody can find the money for the first year, but but they have a hard time finding monies for years two, three, and even four. Students, I hope you realize the sacrifices others have made to provide scholarships for you today. According to a 2016 report by Sally May entitled, How America Pays for College? Scholarships and grants make up 34% of the total higher education payments. If you're like me, obtaining my, I don't know if like me, obtaining my undergraduate degree would not have been possible without the kindness of others, without scholarships, without uh, grants and aid.
5: Which specializes in urban urban comedy content creation for television, film, and digital platforms. She oversees partnerships with Netflix, Hulu, Google, YouTube, Facebook, Paramount Digital Entertainment, and others. She also works with comedians, animators, producers, and writers to create original content for digital exploitation. She has worked alongside comedy mogul Walter. Latham since 2004 in various capacities and was made partner in August 2014. Wow, 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 that was a great introduction. I was like, "Ooh, I like her. (laughs) I can't wait to hear her speak. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be with the Bells. All I have to say is some people thought you weren't going to be here today, but here we are. with some bells. I just want to tell you a little bit about my connection to Bennett College. My sister was a Bennett Bell. I was not a Bennett Bell, but my sister was, and so Bennett is near and dear to my heart. I'm I'm a a pastor, so I'm going to say this. I'm not going to be before you long, but I'm going to really try to stick to that. I want to talk to you today about water, and that may seem like an odd topic for a luncheon like this, but bear with me. Odd, in fact, I was speaking to a friend earlier this week, and she said, you're going to be with Bennett. What are you going to talk to them about? I said, water. She said, oh, OK. I hate I'm going to miss that. But with me we're gonna go somewhere with this. I've been really paying attention to water since the Michigan water crisis and which has been going on now for close to five years which is unimaginable to think in our day and time that a place could be you know water poor dealing with water, in their water but I started thinking about how water is something we take for granted We don't really think about water every day, right? Even though water is essential to life, water is kind of undervalued. It's kind of under acknowledged, kind of just not. We don't love on water like we should love on water. When you think about the fact that 70% of your brain is made up of it, it seems like you would have a little more affection to water. But we don't, right? A lot of times as we're brushing our teeth, we're allowing the water to just run down the drain. While we're waiting for the temperature to get just right, we're allowing the water to run down the drain in our shower. We fill a big old tub up of water, and then when we're done, we let it run down the drain, we're not cognizant of how precious water is. Even though 65 roughly percent of our body is made up of water, our earth is about 60 plus percent water. But we're not talking about water very often. And it got me to thinking about the bells. It got me to thinking about Bennett College and how water and Bennett kind of have some similarities because I don't think we talk about Bennett enough. I don't think we acknowledge Bennett enough. I don't think we appreciate Bennett enough. And the other thing I thought about water and Bennett, I thought about the only time we start talking about water is when it's either threatened or a threat that's when all of a sudden we want to talk about water a water crisis our water resources threatened now let's talk about water a flood water coming in through the roof now let's talk about water and I started thinking about that's kind of how Bennett has been a lot of us people on the outside didn't start talking about Bennett until we saw the resource was threatened and then we said wait a minute we have to protect our resource and so I started thinking about the people who give all of the time are kind of like those people who are always watching the water and trying to protect our water resource so thank you to all of the donors who are cognizant that this is a precious resource so I said there's an acronym I want to use to kind of. connect Bennett to water that's women achieving teaching emerging with resilience that's what we have in this room there is water in this room and we have to protect it I started thinking about water again about if you were to take a cup of water and to pour it and we went up on top of the roof and you poured a little bit of water on the roof it's not gonna really do anything right we can probably take all of our glasses and go up on the roof and pour and nothing's going to happen. But you let us figure out how to pump some gallons up there. Now we have an issue. We have a force to be reckoned with. So I want to talk to you about how you're kind of like that. So bear with me. I told you we was going to bring it on in with this water. So there are some attributes of water that I want us as women, specifically you belles, to have. One thing is you can't have an encounter with water and be the same way. So if you take a little bit of water and you put it on your shirt, you're going to have a little bit of water stain. People are going to know you encountered water. If somebody took their whole and poured it on your shirt. Oh, now your your involvement with water and the the evidence that you had an encounter with water lasts a little longer, right? If we took a water hose and started on you, then now the evidence lasts even longer. Women, I want to encourage you to be like water. Don't let anybody encounter you and leave the same way. And the more of you you get on them, the longer the evidence shows that you were in the place. And that's what I want us to be as women and as a, as Benny Bells. That you can't encounter me, baby, and be the same way you were before you met me. If you meet me, your life will change. That's not arrogance, that's truth. I'm water. What you talking about? So how can you encounter me and lead the same way. The longer you're around me, the more people going to know we were together. Because I'm going to leave my mark. And I'm hoping that you will be encouraged to know that's who you are, Bennett. That's why you were able to exceed a fundraising goal by not just a little. That is amazing. Because you're water. And people realize we have to protect this resource. Another thing I learned about water is just how big its impact is when when it's mass, right? So we talked about going up on the roof with a little bit of water. I want to encourage you ladies to combine, to connect, to partner. We were created to be in relationship. God looked at Adam. He had created everything. He was like, oh, this is good. I did good. And he looked at Adam and said, it ain't good for man to be alone. (laughs) A woman, and here we are, and it's still not good to be alone. It is important that we combine our efforts, it is important that we work together. Too often, we spend time teaching women how to be great individuals. We teach them how to be great, stand on your own two feet. You can do it all by yourself. I want to tell you, you can, but it's a lot more fun to do it with someone. Partner with the ladies around you, don't let some mess keep you from locking hands with other women who are doing great things because just like a little bit of water on that roof yes you can do something but when you combine with other women who have like minds all the impact becomes amazing. The impact becomes amazing. Water is considered to have a high cohesion rate. Ladies, I want to encourage you to have a high cohesion rate where you are determined to be connected even though people will tell you you are, that's your competition and that's your competition. You say, no, that's my partner. That's my partner. We're in relationship. I was listening to an interview recently. A man named David Brooks, I believe, has written a book called The Second mountain and it really got my attention because he said we spend so much time preparing for the first mountain and the first mountain is the one that we conquer on our own right it's the one where we teach our little girls you can do it by yourself baby and so they grow up conquering the first mountain and then once they get to the first mountain they realize It's not the same without having someone else. It's not the same not being in partnership with other people. And we've all heard that old African proverb that said if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Ladies, we can do so much more when we're connected. And the last thing I want to think about water and the bells and women in general. Water's value is not lessened by the acknowledgement or lack of of people. So just because you don't think about water, That doesn't mean water isn't important. You're not thinking about water now. But did you know that the average healthy person can live about a month without food, but no more than a week without water? So rather you're thinking about water enough, water is still important. Water still has significance. Water still has great value. Ladies, I want to encourage you that if no one tweets about you, if no one's snapping about you, if nobody's asking you for anything on that anonymous thing they're doing right now, if nobody paying attention to you, it does not lessen your value. It didn't matter that nobody was necessarily talking about Bennett. Baby Bennett had power before it made the news. So you don't need somebody to clap for you to have value. I learned that long ago. If you need somebody to applaud you, to do your work, You're not doing it for the right reason. And you will always be swayed by people and the crowd and and what's happening at the time. And you'll be up and you'll be down. But when you recognize like water, whether you're thinking about me or not, I'm powerful. And when you realize that they will talk about me when they either realize they can lose me or they realize I'm a threat. And let me tell you something, ladies. You are a threat. You are a threat to glass ceilings. You are a threat to the status quo. You are a threat to business as usual. You are a threat to the old man's gentleman club or whatever they call it. So whether they talk about you or not, you are water. You are women achieving, teaching, emerging with resilience. And donors, thank you for recognizing there's water in this place. Thank you.
6: Take me to the water. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wonderful message. We really appreciate you being here today and for these wonderful words. My name is LaDaniel Gatling. I'm the Vice President for Institution Advancement here at Bennett College. Uh, on your, in your, your booklets, on page five, there's a quote from Alan Pike, and the quote says, what we have done for ourselves dies with us, what we have done for others and the world remains and is immortal. Your gifts, donors. Your support, your monetary support, your prayers, your words of wisdom, your mentorship have sown uh, seeds of excellence and determination in our young women at Bennett College, and we want to acknowledge your efforts for all that you have done.
5: I had the
0: chance to to speak to the keynote speaker, Miss Yolanda, at the scholarship luncheon. That was pretty awesome. That's good, that's good. That was. She was really great.
5: Danny Gatlin invited me, asked me would I come and speak, and I said absolutely. I have been impressed by what was happening over at Bennett the last couple years. I've been kind of watching growth, renovation. I have been here to a few engagements, and I was just excited and honored to come over here and be with the Bells. My sister was a Bell, so this was very special to me.
0: With your word and your sermon today, it really resonated with a lot of women. Um, What more could you say to women who are going through other
5: issues? You know, for me, I think women have to recognize their power. I think a lot of times we lose our power, not because someone takes it, but because we give it to them. We just don't recognize our own value, our own worth. When we look at one another, we oftentimes criticize one another instead of celebrating. And I think if we get into the habit of loving ourselves, it'll be easier for us to celebrate other women. And as we start to celebrate one another, we can see the work that really needs to be done getting done. That's why the Me Too movement is working. That's why all these big movements are working. because people have put hands together and said let's stop talking and fighting each other and let's work together. You know the greatest movements happened because people were willing to put their differences aside and work together. What other things that you plan on doing with Bennett College. I'm hoping I'll get a chance to come talk to the communications department. I'm hoping I get a chance to come over and just find out more about what caused some of the Bales to become Bales. Like what drove them to choose this place. I'd love to hear those stories behind it. Maybe even do a documentary. My mom was going all over the place in my line of work thinking about how can we capture the message here and put it, memorialize it in a way that the story can continue to be told for years to come. Because what's happened in the last year alone has been profound enough that Bennett needs To have something that kind of chronicles of what's been happening here,
0: you should do a documentary on Stand With Anything.
5: And well, you know what, my (laughs) mind is clicking. I'm thinking about that. I am. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Let's take a listen from my interview with Miss Bernita
7: Sims, Guilford County's Community Action Agency. We are one of 48 agencies across the, the state of North Carolina. Each county has one designated agency that provides that work. We receive our funding through community service block grant dollars And we take our funds in Guilford County. We spend them on training and employment services, as well as other services for citizens like tuition assistance, uh, summer camp programs for kids, child care, mentoring programs, and then other wraparound services, uh, such as assistance with uh, utilities and rental payments and things of that nature.
0: All right. How did the connection with you and in College came about?
7: Well, last year we found ourselves um, sometime around April saying we're going to have this large amount of dollars that we have left over that we need to spend and so we met with our funder talked about you know what things were possible in terms of how we spend those dollars and we started talking about tuition assistance and we have uh, a connection with uh, your board chair uh, Dr. Gladys Robinson and so we talked about Bennett College and it was born from there so we've just been at that point we met with everybody here determined there was a need and decided we could help with that need.
0: Good. Do you think that you did a good choice by coming, helping for Bennett College?
7: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, being a female myself and knowing how difficult it is sometimes to, to uh, bridge those um, needs and requirements that you have when you're going to school. And it's tough in most instances. And uh, particularly when you have young ladies that are trying to matriculate on their own. So we know how important it is that we keep women in school and men in, in fact in school that they get it done when it's time to get it done as opposed to having that break in service and then having to try to come back so we felt like that's something we could do we could give back so I think education is important and uh in this day and time you people need all the help they can get
0: absolutely and um furthermore do you further your um program with internships or anything by chance?
7: We absolutely do. We do accept individuals coming into the program. Uh, A lot of our work is around social work and case management. So uh, when we have those individuals, individuals with those majors, it really does help. We also do a lot around media advertising and marketing. So when we have those individuals that are majoring in those fields, it really does help with us. But we'll take everybody. You know, everybody brings something to the table. So whether you're a finance major, we can take you with that as well. So it really doesn't matter, but we've got something to do. There is something to do for everybody in our organization. Absolutely. I forgot what I was going to ask What plans do you have further on with um, Bennett College? Well, we're gonna continue to do what we've been doing with our tuition assistance, so that's still out there on the table. We wanna make sure that every woman who graduates, graduates, and she has the help and assistance that she needs to make that happen. We know that sometimes you get to the end of the year and money runs out, so we wanna make sure that we're that backstop for that process. And then of course, with our other services, we do know that there are times when things just happen, life happens. And so at that point, we wanna be able to assist in that area as well. So we'll continue our partnership with Bennett. Uh, We wanna make sure that we are present in the lives of the women at, at Bennett College and that we do everything we can do to help them be successful.
4: Thank you for all your support to Bennett College. We are most appreciative, and thank you for coming out today to celebrate with us. You see, truly, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we have rejoiced and we're glad in it. Thank you for your support for <laughs> Benedict College. We will continue. We will move on.
1: Thank you. Have a good evening. Here are some highlights from Kataya Lester giving us a little bit about Bennett's history.
8: Today's quote of the day comes from Josephine Baker, which says, you are on the eve of a complete victory. You can't go wrong. The world is behind you. I believe that this quote means that all of the troubles that were stopping, that were stopping you from winning are over, and you are about to win, and there is nothing that anyone can do about it. I spoke with an alum named Rosalind Smith, who was involved in some of the plannings for the sit-in movement. She told me that most of the meetings were upstairs in the student union and were conducted by the president of the NAACP chapter in Greensboro, who was also a sociology professor here at Bennett College. Most students who participated were behavioral science majors and were either juniors and seniors. She also told me that most students were student leaders on campus, either serving on SGA or in class officer positions. So when the students picketed, they had very strict rules. They had to go out in groups of two or more, and they were not to argue or talk back to anyone who said anything to them while picketing. Dr. Player like the president at a and was given an offer to allow the students to return to campus with the charges still pending. I'm going to read an interview of what Player had to say to her students when she went to visit them in the jail to let them know about this offer. Yeah, free them. And I said, if you free the girls, then I will tell the girls to come home. Meantime the girls got upset because the boys had left from A&T, you know and so I had to go out and explain to them. I said, now a students have gone back to campus, but they have not been released. They are still jailed students, so that makes a and a jail instead of the polio place. And I said, now I am going to, and I don't think you want to, have been at a jail. It's a liberal arts college, you see, and so you just stick it out, or what do you want to do? Do you want to come back and have this hanging over your head and they said no they were all with me and they got up and they sang the alma mater and they just restirred themselves you know and they stayed until they released them and when they released them then they returned to campus and one of the people who tried to get me to release to go along with this was dr tarpley and i said dr tarpley Bennett is not a jail, and I am not going to bring those girls back under that kind of situation. And I said, and the girls want to stay, and so they did. And when they came back, you see, they were freed. All of this, and we had won our point that this is the way college behaves when a tense situation like this arrives.
0: Associatory graduation is coming up. Yes. Are you nervous? Are you excited? How is the emotions?
8: I'm really
1: excited. Like today, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you noticed that. I was really happy. Um, I'm just, ex- I'm, I'm really excited. Like, I don't know what to say. I'm so excited to, That's you know, it's the end of the year. Finals is almost over. It's almost the summertime. And I'll be graduating, like, that's really a that's huge a big milestone. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. I was just about to say that's a milestone. What
0: are you most excited about for graduation?
1: Um, I'm just most excited to see my family, like, see them come together. Like, my dad's side is coming here. My mom's side is coming here, and I don't see them together quite often. So I'm really excited about that, you know, seeing my family and friends and... Yeah, it's gonna be really fun. Are you interested for
0: life after
8: college?
1: Yes, I am interested to see, you know, what the next chapter holds. You know, um, I've been in college for four years and it's interesting to see how how I would be in the workforce. So um, I'm excited about that. That's good.
0: And do you have any advice for any upcoming seniors like myself, you know, now that
1: senior year is approaching? Um, I would really say just, you know, hang in there. You know, it can be stressful. But you really just have to hang in there and believe in yourself. I can't stress this enough, Shatori. Congratulations. I hope that you do wonderful
0: out there. I'm going to miss you. Thank you. Are you excited? You know, that it's the end of the school year. I am excited. I'm excited about summer. Um, What I'm really more excited about, which is shocking, is that I get to work again. You know, make money. And, um... You know, just work, of course, hang out with my friends, go on vacations, but I'm just really, really excited about making money. Hopefully, I get like an internship or something. Mm-hmm. Um, think about what's my next journey, dealing with journalism and stuff, um, mm-hmm. branch out, you know, do more creative things in my field.
1: Yeah, I know you're going to do great, and
0: I'm coming back for your graduation. Yay! Uh, Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Baylor Radio. We have a lot in store for you regards to graduation and many other events. Don't forget to tune in every Wednesday at 4:30 on channel 142, Sirius XM, HBCU.